Alexa, add wine to the list. Wine added to your shopping list. <laughs> wine has been added to Abby's shopping list. And my Alexa ignored me. <laughs> <laughs> Let me try that again. Alexa, add wine to the list. You already have wine. Oh, she keeps, she's like, apparently, you have wine on your shopping list. Yep. So did mine. So apparently, okay, whatever. Sorry. <laughs> Shut up. I'm done talking to you. Robots, man. That's the theme of today's episode. I'm going to take wine from this box. Uh, like the true professional that you are. I do what I can. So as you know, from the end of last episode, we decided to save the wine for this second episode. So now we are ready. Here we go. Tara is drinking sangria, correct? Yes. Black Box Premium Wines Red Sangria. That's right. Basicsinistragmail.com. We're accepting your sponsorship. But don't send it to the P.O. Box, which is Tara's address, because I know that bitch will drink it all and I won't get any. So after you email us, I'll give you my address and you can send me half. They're going to send it all to me. Yeah, probably. The fan favorite. The fan favorite. You be the fan favorite. I'll be the winner. Okay. Who gets wine? The winner of RuPaul's Drag Race gets $100,000 and a crown. I'll get you a crown, Adam. I mean, I already have several. Uh, Yeah, I know. I know. Hi, guys. We're the basic snitches. We both said our names already, I think. So (laughs) at some point, you guys figure it out. You don't know my name? I'm sorry. Look at what it says on your podcast listening thing. It'll tell you who we are. That's right. Both of our names are Alexa. (laughs) Okay. Um, Chapter 15. This is an easy win-loss. Oh, by the way, the, today we're doing chapter 16. Yeah, <laughs> but we're doing chapter 15 for like two seconds where I tell you that Draco lost. Yep. And of course he did. And Hermione won. She's fucking great in that fucking chapter. And always, but especially that chapter. If Hermione doesn't win that chapter, then I don't know. It would be unacceptable. That's cool. Yes. I have and a thing. You have a thing that you sent to me. So I have to go back into my inbox and open it. <clears throat> pause for 10 minutes. Oh, wait. No, she got a new computer. Oh, yeah. No longer needing to pause for 10 minutes. That's right. We're ready. Chapter 16. Quinn Trelawney's prediction. Hey, remember when we said how the chapters are a journey? Well, buckle in, bitches. This chapter starts out very happy. Yeah, so we all know what's going to happen by the end of the chapter. Everyone is euphoric from the Gryffindors winning the House Cup, and everyone is getting ready for exams, and it's pretty intense. At the same time, we learned the last day of exams is also when the appeal for Buckbeak is, and the executioner is coming for that. So, sounds like there's not going to be an appeal, huh? Exams sound so much fun! You're the worst. Things like they do. Are... That wasn't that wasn't sarcastic. I know. I was. <laughs> Things like cheering charms, turning a teapot into a tortoise, concocting a confusing concoction, and an evil creature obstacle course all sound interesting and varied. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm back with you on that. I don't want to be graded for that shit though. Some are not so exciting, like caring for flopper worms. But at least it sounds easy. Care for magical creatures. Don't fuck with them. Hmm, I wonder if there's a life lesson there. The final exam for Harry is divination. And it's a one-on-one exam. As he's waiting his turn, he's impatiently thinking about Buckbeak's hearing. When he makes his way into the exam, he kind of fudges through it. And unbeknownst to Trelawney, he does sort of pass. 
the power of positive thinking. But Trelawney is so obsessed by death that she's a little clouded over. However, also unbeknownst to her, she goes into a trance and makes a rather shocking prophecy that the servant will reunite with the Dark Lord. Wow, creepy. <laughs> Wonder what it means. This kind of takes a backseat, though, since afterward the trio get another message from Hagrid saying that the appeal is lost and not to come down. But they're like, fuck this shit, and Hermione is HBIC, and she's like, I'ma go get that cloak, and does so in 15 minutes, having not encountered that one-eyed bitch before. What a boss-ass bitch. Hagrid is in a state, not really understanding what's going on. Hey, we can all relate to Hagrid, I bet. As Hermione is making tea, they find Scabbers. Ugh, are you kidding me? I thought that little twat died. But then Harry sees the menagerie of weird old men approaching the cabin, so they have to leave pronto. Meanwhile, Scabbers is being the biggest little asshole ever, trying to bite Ron, then the axe falls, and that's how the chapter ends. But hey, don't worry, we get to relive all this in just a few chapters. Not all is lost. Yeah, that chapter is definitely a journey. It really is. Whew. At the very least at the beginning, we still have a little bit of the like carryover from the last chapter and the celebration and everything. Now that Quidditch is out of the way, we just got to get through exams and then we can worry about Buckbeak. So it feels a little bit more organized at the very least. Yeah. At the very beginning, it says that the giant squid is like happily swimming over the lake. And I was like, I like that. He deserves some relaxation time. The squid isn't the one hunting dementors and taking exams and playing Quidditch. You don't know what his life was like before he was the squid in the lake. Maybe he went to squid magic school and dealt with squid dementors. I thought you were like, someone turned that human into a squid. Maybe that's his story. I want a story on the giant squid. I like that squid. Shit. We're not even drunk, so, guys. Now it's almost like buckle down time. Let's study. Let's get these exams over with. It feels like a big chunk of the chapter, too, because they really do go into a lot of the detail that I often miss from other chapters. Yeah. Because uh, we're at school and I kind of want to learn a little bit more about like what their school life is like. So when they're studying and stuff, Percy keeps punishing people for making too much noise. I feel like this I- was you in college as a whatever those people are called. An RA. An RA. Um, Are you you Percy Weasley? There were some times where, like, I had to enforce hours, but (laughs) not to that degree, I don't think. There's some situations come to mind. Like, there was one time where we had an on campus group actually having a party in one of the classrooms in my hall. So, if you recall, living and learning so we had really huge lounges that were basically classrooms for when you had to take your living and learning class so someone had decided that they were going to have a party in there and they were blasting music so that the building was shaking and stuff so there was like that moment that i really really remember but i mean i guess i've had to deal with so many things that i don't really remember one-off like noise violations or anything like that when you have had to deal with things a little bit more severe and i'm not going to go into it because a lot of it is very private stuff for some of my residents even though it was like 10 to 15 years ago at this point noise violation is like uh, who cares almost <laughs> like you don't really write anybody up for a noise violation or anything like that at first i was kind of like well wow percy also you're the head boy like calm the fuck down let the prefix do their job i feel like he's micromanaging but now that you say that i'm like mm, well maybe i was a little bit of percy in that moment <laughs> The good part of Percy, though, like he is very organized, like you, very serious about his education. About his power tripping. That's what it is. I said education. He's also serious about his power tripping. 
We're talking about his education. <laughs> Does he go into the Ravenclaw room and be like, y'all being too loud he when he's like visiting his Penelope? I don't know. I don't want to know his life there. I do like the beginning of the chapter kind of giving us a little bit more information about these different tests and stuff that the other students are taking. And then we get a little bit more of the Hermione's schedule actually is impossible clues, which is cool, I think. We do get a little bit of the reminder about Buckbeak and everything and how the executioner is coming to the appeal. This sounds like the person who is currently the president of our country, always trying to jump through hoops to get whatever the fuck he wants. And it's rude and fucked up. And I don't like it because at that point, it really does feel like, okay, well, there's not going to be an appeal anyways. Like the executioner doesn't need to come if it's just going to be a standard appeal. But he's wanting to like rush this along. Before we get into more about that, we do have all these really cool exams. And some of them, I touched on this in my thing, but I really enjoy. Oh, yeah, they actually are very fun to read about. I would fucking yeah. I like the little pieces of it that, like, it makes sense. And when we get into the movie, we'll talk about it, too. They're not really relevant to the story, but they're fun to read. You kind of love the characters for it. Like how mm-hmm. Harry overdoes the cheering charm on Ron during his exam. How Hermione like gets through, defends against the dark arts, but then she falls apart with her boggart. Not only is it not relevant, but there's still a through line. Hermione didn't get to show what her boggart was. And the fact that we get to see what it is, and it's McGonagall telling her that she failed everything, is so delightful. Right. And cheering charms, obviously, from the last chapter. All of the other creatures are ones that we heard about Lupin keeping, like the hinky punks and all of those. And the other one was flobberworms, which not maybe the most exciting exam so you can see that like they are working on things that they have clearly been taught throughout the year i think i actually enjoy lupins the most from like a curriculum standpoint because he covers everything whereas no shade on flitwick but flitwick trelawney and hagrid they only focus on like one aspect of the year I wonder if they really do or if this is just more like focusing on the things we already had something about. You know, like we've interacted with Trelawney and Hagrid regarding flubberworms and crystal balls and stuff. Hmm. So I, I wonder if that's really what their testing is on. Or that's just like Those a two, I think so. what we know about. Flitwick, maybe it was just one component. Of course, it does kind of make me wish that we had a little bit more of what happened in Transfiguration over the year. Mm-hmm. Because that's another really fun one. And I also really wish that we got a little bit more into what the exams were for Herbology and for Astronomy. Which are yeah. the ones they kind of gloss over. They even go a little bit more into History of Magic, which... I don't really care about, but I really love that they even call back Florian Fortescue. Harry's like, I would like this better if I had a Sunday. Yes, beach. <laughs> this is the sort of detail that I always love in these chapters. So anytime like that they bring them up, I really get tickled by it. Of course, the last one that we get into is Trelawney's exam. Like I said, her exam only focuses on one aspect of the class. And we know that for sure because we see Harry's entire exam and it's crystal gazing. And it's just simply, hey, what do you see in the crystal ball? But I don't like this. As an exam, and y'all know that I have problems with the way that she teaches. Yeah. Why give them an exam about being able to see something in one of these tactics if you start the entire class at the beginning of the term by saying that not everybody is going to be able to do this? Like, why wouldn't you structure your exam differently? It's clear that it's not about teaching your students. It's about discovering if they have this within them. Right. So... 
it's weird to me. Now, the other really cool thing about this exam is that Harry makes a correct guess. He's bullshitting, of course, but what he says is true. He really doesn't want it to be, though, which is another interesting thing. Which is an interesting thing because that kind of goes to show that the teachers know that the ministry is fucked up and can be bought by the Malfoys. With Harry brings up this thing with Buckbeak and she probably shouldn't give a shit about it that she's like adamant about how Buckbeak will probably die because she assumes he will, because that's yeah. how fucked up the ministry is. It kind of brings it into perspective of just how aware the teachers probably are about this. And they probably know that Malfoy's dad buys everything off because that's technically what was supposed to happen. That's a really cool way to look at it. Because I also sort of feel like Trelawney's up in her tower, like away from everything. She even talked about, I think there was a line somewhere in the book about how she doesn't go down too much because she doesn't want to cloud her in her eye or whatever. Yeah. So I don't feel like that's typically something that she would be super interested in and she wouldn't like give a fuck. She's just up there smoking weed and drinking tea, living the best life. However, it's because she's obsessed with death. Yeah, she a creep. And this actually brings me into my next point, which I think reveals a lot of interesting stuff about her personality. In the class, she does have this very high and mighty attitude. Not everybody has the ability to do these things that seers are rare. You got it or you don't. A lot of the times when she is predicting things, it's just kind of like for show. And some of it, you know, there's some collateral truthness to it, like Binky the bunny. The fact that we didn't really touch on it in the last chapter, but when Hermione leaves, Lavender or Parvati are like, oh, you said that one of us would leave for good. So there's something there. But then when she actually makes an actual prophecy, which is the next thing that happens here, and the next thing for the chapter, <laughs> she, well, she almost has this like out of body experience and she really like speaks the truth in this way that is creepy, but also very like clear and directed i guess harry's describing her as like going into this kind of trance even if it hadn't physically been obvious to him the way that she speaks literally like the dialogue versus how she very dramatically is about the grim with harry throughout the book in this it's very direct she's like this is what's going to happen versus this like grandioso like one of our number will leave us forever around easter that she does that ends up being true about Hermione. Like, it's just, it's so different. It kind of reveals that there's this layer of bullshit and ego mm-hmm. yeah. that she has on this persona. It almost feels like she is trying to show who she is as like this stereotypical image of a fortune teller more than showing what she can actually do. It makes me wonder, like, what if it was McGonagall who was the divination teacher? Mm-hmm. I mean, she never would be, but let's just hypothetically say, you know, someone who is much more rigid and straightforward, it would be very interesting and not in the typical character that you would think from someone like that, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. It revealed, I think, a little bit more about Trelawney to the crux of what I do like about her is that she's not a phony when it comes down to what she actually does. She's almost more of a phony because of this image that she's putting forward. So I think people are really quick to say that she's a fraud. It's not completely false, but it's in a way that you don't initially expect. She capitalizes and hey, on this. Yeah, I love the image that she has. Like, that's cool. But if she calmed down on the weed for a little bit, 
she might be a little bit more of a better teacher and a little bit more straightforward. Y'all know that I do not judge and I am a little bit jealous, but I think in this case, like, of course, right now I'm making a joke, but I think in this case, like, if she for once wasn't like, oh, my shit don't stank, then maybe she would become a little bit more authentic. I think the other cool thing about this chapter, you don't expect this. Yeah. Look, you're like, this girl is fucking ridiculous. And then this happens. I think it's cool. Mm. Once this is done, exams are over. The school year is basically done. However, this is where we get like the majority of like everything coming to a culmination. Buckbeak executed. We get more of pressured Hermione, even though like the school year is over and she made it through. I feel like she's still like riding high on the pressure that she was feeling from having all of these classes. They're like, we would love to go and see Hagrid, but I don't have my invisibility cloak. And Hermione is like, really, where is it? They tell her, she's like, how do I get into the to hump, bitch? She comes back, I think it said in like 15 minutes with the cloak. She's a goddess. I'm sorry. Like when they talk about how difficult it was to find the divination classroom or how long it took them to search the fricking castle. She doesn't completely know what she's doing or where she's going per se. She might like remember, oh yeah, there was this random statue, but she gets there in 7.5 minutes, does the thing, grabs the cloak and comes back in that same amount of time. She's just great. Unless she used the time turner, which at this point, I don't think she's been fucking around with it until Dumbledore kind of tells her to. Right. Fuck yeah, Hermione. She is HBSC. She is. I love that she does that. (laughs) That's pretty impressive. She does some impressive stuff, but that needs to not go unnoticed. As they're heading down to Hagrid's hut, I also want to address that this is one of my favorite sequences, I think, in the entire series. And one of the reasons why I like the book, because this is where the action starts. And this is where we have to return to it in the future. I really love how the kids are just trying to help him. Hermione's like tearing up when she starts making tea. She, I know. Hagrid is important to them. And Hermione worked so hard on this. And also this is a creature that is innocent. It's really nice just to see how much they care for him. And they try to do things for him. There's something else to be said about Hagrid and how realistic this moment is. This happens to me a lot as someone who's prone to stress and anxiety. There are times where I get so overwhelmed or just so hit with all of these different things that it's almost a surreal moment. I don't know how to like make things feel real. I feel like that's what Hagrid is experiencing right now, even just based on the writing. But at the same time, Hagrid is still being a teacher and being an adult in this situation and being a little bit logical too. The trio say that they want to stay with him and he's like, absolutely not. You got to get the hell out of here. Yeah, he turns right around and cares for them. The movie might be fucking me up, but this is also where one of them say, hey, why don't you just let him free? And he's like, no, I wouldn't do that because... It'll get Dumbledore in trouble and Dumbledore is coming down because he wants to be with me when it happens. Well, that was an opinion on this scene, I guess. I don't know if other people were able to hear that. Someone's yappy dog. What's the name? Oh, I don't know. I don't know those dogs' names. Oh, it's someone outside? Yeah, it's not Sammy. Sammy's being Oh, wait a minute. I just realized something. We broke one of the cardinal rules of basic snitches. That dog's name does not begin with a B. Um... You look so guilty. It's the dumbest rule we've ever made. 
Well, breaking the rules. Yeah, I'm a rebel. That's right. Rules don't need to be broken. Hey, if no one remembers that, like sometime in our first season, we were like, if we're in a building with pets, they all need to be named B because we got Busby, Berkeley, Bailey, Baxter, Bart, and that other bitch. Betty. <laughs> Betty. I don't know why I was gonna about to call her Bianca. That's Maybe so that um, dog's name did begin with a B. Probably. It's B. Bitch. <laughs> We are so creative. This is how we come up with rules like that. We come up with things and agree on it. That's how rules at Basic Snitches work. That's right. Hashtag teamwork. So back to this scene that's in Hagrid's hut. It's touching. And I still think that even though we pause a little bit and it's almost like the culmination before all of the drama kind of like unfolds, it's still a really nice moment. And there's moments of support and realism and logic and one big thing that happens here that's very important is that Hermione finds, speaking of bitches. Fucking scabbers. Yeah. Fucking scabbers. He sucks. And scabbers looks like even more like Gratchety. He's like skinnier and he's like more bald. And then when they leave, Hagrid kind of forces them out as the trio of strange men start coming down the hill. Scabbard is like having a tantrum. He's like writhing in his hands and trying to bite Ron. And it's very strange pet behavior, you know? It really is. Every time we get to this point in the book and in the movie too, because that's kind of how they do it in the movie. What is it that Scabbers is sensing at that? Like, what is it that is making him go, I need to get away from the situation when he's spent 11 years with the Weasley family just riding on that nice little high of being a pampered pet. Why wouldn't he just go back with Ron and live his pampered little life? That's a really good point. So what I was going to say is like, if Scabbers was an actual rat, the fact of his appearance and his like really strange reaction would instantly make me think like he's got to go to the vet because there's something wrong with him. But what's going through Peter Pettigrew's mind? It makes me wonder about what happened between when Peter Pettigrew got out of the Gryffindor common room. I think back to in the last chapter when Sirius and Crookshanks were hanging out. And I keep thinking back to your theory that you said at the very beginning of this book about Crookshanks being connected to the Potters. Mm -hmm. Animals can communicate with one another, you know, dogs and cats definitely do it. So if they are communicating with one another, that may have something to do with it. And I wonder, like, is it possible that there was another run-in with them or something like that? Right. Is Scabbers looking scrawnier because of that or because of stress? I mean, it could be a combination of either. It's very interesting because it is so erratic. That's a good question that you brought up. It's very strange. In the book, we have gotten almost no clue to who Peter Pettigrew is. Right. We've gotten more clues about Sirius Black and Lupin. So right. Also, can we talk about how the picture at the very start of this chapter, and I think you have the same edition of me, is Scabbers, and he look ugly as fuck. <laughs> he looks gross. He does. He is yeah, <laughs> gross. And that's how the chapter ends. The final moment of Buckbeak being quote unquote executed is so abrupt too. Mm -hmm. It really does rush from them being in the hut and going up the hill. Scabbers is freaking out and then boom, it's done. Yeah. You know, I talked already in this episode about how this is like the start of the action, but it almost feels like the swing of the axe is the swing of a pendulum. And that is like what is starting everything into motion. And then this is what we return to later with the time turner to kind of reverse everything. Yeah, I love it. So for Fuck, Mary Kill. I know in the last episode I said I was 
grasping at straws, but I have actually two fuck Mary kills for this episode. Wow. And I went back and forth about like which one should I choose, but I couldn't choose because I kind of like both of them. Okay. The first one is three of the finals that they go through. So one of them is Flitwick's final exam with the cheering charms. Mm McGuzz final with the turning a teapot into a tortoise or vice versa, whatever it was. And then Lupin's obstacle course of magical creatures. I'm going to kill Flitwick's cheering charm. Here's why. Okay. I appreciate this like cheering people up thing, but it being a charm meaning that it's not real is a little of a turn off, I guess. So hey, I hate to tell you this, but this book is about magic and it's completely fictional as much as I hate to say that. So none of these are actually realistic at all. Fine. I was just giving you my reasoning behind it. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to fuck McGonagall's final because it's pretty cool and exciting. Might be a good time. <laughs> and I'm going to, I would always marry Lupin. Anything has to do with Lupin. He is the ideal partner in life. Anything he's about is ideal. And Lupin is great. Don't tell that to Neville or Cedric. <laughs> <laughs> this for me is the hardest fuck Mary kill of these books so far. Okay. My problem is, is I can see something really good about all of these. So I can't kill Flitwick's because it's such a fun exam and such a fun charm and it's beneficial and it's something I feel like I could use often. So I know that much. My instinct goes to actually kill Lupin's final because it doesn't appeal to me as much. It's a bunch of dark creatures. So yeah, I get that. Yeah. But I really like his approach of it being the only thing that we see here that is completely holistic, that ties back to other elements of the course. At least the only one that we actually see in the text. Mm -hmm. Because of that and kind of having to back into it, I'm actually going to kill McGuzz final, which is a shame because I think that it's visually the most interesting. It reminds me of the tap dancing pineapples from a few books ago, which was actually Flitwick's exam. Mm -hmm. But I think I'm going to kill that one because it doesn't seem as like useful to me. When are you ever going to have to fucking do that? Right. So I'm going to marry Lupin's because it is the most stable. (laughs) I wish I could figure out another word, but it's like the most responsible. And I love Flitwick's final so much that that's the one I'm going to fuck. Oh, yes. All right. So that I think is the most compelling one that I've done so far because all of them are so great, you know? Like I could not put like flower worms or even divination or whatever happens in potions in this case because it's like these three are so interesting and compelling. So my other fuck Mary kill is the trio of weird men, sort of. Oh. Dumbledore's not in there, so don't get excited. It's McNair, Mustache Wizard, and Fudge. So this one's a little bit more difficult from the opposite reason, because you might want to kind of kill all of them. I mean, because Fudge hasn't completely turned yet, and I feel like I could get drunk enough just to get that shit over with, I would fuck Fudge. <laughs> Are you, you're gonna be a fudge packer? Yeah, I'm gonna kill McNair because he's. <laughs> you you went right into the next thing. You did not want to even like digest that a little bit. And I'm gonna marry the old guy who's probably sick of this shit too. Mustache wizard. Yeah, mustache wizard. Yeah, I'm gonna marry mustache wizard too. I'm not a huge fan of mustaches alone, but I mean sometimes it really depends. But I'm gonna kill Fudge. <laughs> I know him the most, and I don't want to. So, bye. No no to fudge. And so that means I'm going to fuck McNair, because maybe he's kinky. 
because he has he a hood on him. He is a death eater. He might be into leather or something like that. <laughs> I'm not into leather. I don't know why I'm saying that, but movie time. <laughs> So we do get a little bit more of the movie in this case, almost the entire chapter, but we really start with, it's not the final exam for divination. We don't get any final exam business at all in the movie, but it happens after the divination class from the last chapter where Hermione tells Trelawney off. Hermione leaves. She's knocked the the crystal ball over and they all leave. And then Harry sees it, takes it back to Trelawney. And they set that scene up real kind of spooky too. Because he like puts it down and then he's looking at it because it looks like he's going to see something in it. Probably the Grim. And then she puts her hand on his shoulder, which is very well done in a spooky kind of way. Yeah. It's even spookier than it is in the book, which I I mean, in the movie, you're going to want to make it a little bit more. It's definitely very compelling that he might actually see something in the crystal ball. And I've talked throughout this season about how I think that Harry and Ron do have some like penchant towards divination. Then like the way that Trelawney comes out of the trance, I think is also very interesting. She kind of coughs and sputters. It kind of goes back into what I was saying about earlier, that it's almost like she has this skill and she knows it, but she doesn't know it to the complete degree that she actually has it. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. I will say when he walks back up the stairs and you see even just things like the doorway and the banister and everything, it always reminds me and I always want to take the time to appreciate Hogwarts and the beautiful architecture that it has. Oh God, yes. And then what I was kind of talking about earlier in terms of this now being like the beginning of the action and the time travel and all of that, this scene fades to black And then the kind of transition into the next one, it's complete silence. And then you open up and the scene kind of melts into view from blackness. Mm -hmm. And you see McNair polishing the axe. It's such an interesting transition because you haven't seen it before. But I think it goes back to what I said all the way at the beginning when they were in the leaky cauldron and all the action there and the way that it's filmed. I don't know if this is true, but this is me as a fan trying to like put it together. I wonder if this is the director's way of like setting it in that way i really loved it i did too i mean this film overall is people want to say oh it's so dark compared to the first two yes but that's not really the point it needs to be dark but dark is too generic of a word that's not to take away from the darkness of scenes like that that's the reality wow that's the reality the realty does trelawney have a realty she probably she's selling real estate now but that's the reality of that moment and you don't get to have these expanded scenes with the characters when they're the hut with Hagrid or Harry and Ron see them coming up the path toward the castle but we have to establish that this is a thing that is about to happen it also I think has something to do with like exams not happening it kind of shows the passage of time because we really are like in class mm-hmm. and then it's like completely different thing and in the movie class isn't really mentioned again Mm -hmm. at all so i think that that was kind of a mechanism for that as well 
Of course, we don't get the HBIC moment where she goes and gets the invisibility cloak because there was no reason for Harry to put the invisibility cloak there. They don't even like need the invisibility cloak. There isn't like the urgency to like protect students or Harry from like the threat of Sirius Black as much. They just go right up into the hut. I feel like there is more like sadness from Hagrid then there is like that feeling of not knowing what to do yeah which is fine I think that's an interpretation it's still valid but then when Scabbers is revealed Hagrid's just like oh I found this bitch here you go I wonder if that really makes a difference I've always tried to make an opinion on whether or not I cared between Hermione finding Scabbers and Hagrid being like here's your rat bitch it doesn't really matter to me probably would have been fine had they you know did it the way it is in the book I like that Hermione's making tea. I think it shows a little bit more about her character, but like we've said many times, they're speeding it up now, you know? It's like, this is the part of of the story where someone's like pulling back the thing on the slingshot and we're about to go. Yeah, that's a really, really good way to say it, actually. Now, the one thing that I do like that they added, this is like that little Marauder's Map moment where he saw Pettigrew on the map Mm -hmm. and went to go investigate it. And a very clever way to kind of like cut down the book into the movie is how they're just chatting and then a stone comes through smashes the like clay vase or clay pitcher or whatever and then one hits harry in the back of the head yeah and we'll obviously learn in future chapters what that was but that was the mechanism to get them to turn around and see that the trio of weird men were walking down the hill And them establishing the the two different times that we're about to see, like how they're going to overlap. Yeah, I think that's a very clever way to do it. I'm really glad that they came up with that for the movie because it does help tell the story. I'm also glad that that's not actually how it is in the book because trying to follow that in the book would be even more confusing, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. And then they do make it up the hill. There's the scene where they're like by the pumpkins and they hear something in the woods and Hermione kind of like looks back and thinks that she sees herself. But then she's like, fuck that. And is like, I gotta get out of here. And that's just that same thing. Exactly. And I appreciate that too. Too. There's this one shot at Buckbeak that is a little bit sad, kind of like, oh, this is the last time they might see him. They run up the hill, then it happens. And that is the end of the chapter and the section of the movie, and it's sad. Yeah. Like I said, I love this sequence of events. So the next time we record, which also might be in person, which is very exciting, I'm really excited to explore those chapters with all of this action happening. Okay, tell me about your points. My points are plus 15 to Hagrid because Hagrid is very sad. Not only just sad, but he's stressed out and he's overwhelmed by what's happening. Plus 10 to Buckbeak because Buckbeak also is probably not overwhelmed or stressed, but he about to die. Plus 5 to all three of the trio. But then I'm going to also add another 10 points to Hermione for being HBIC and getting the invisibility cloak. So that's 5 to Harry, 5 to Ron, 15 to Hermione. Plus five to Trelawney. And I got to explain this a little bit because I am seeing a lot of the flaws in Trelawney. But in this moment, you get a little bit of that insight into her personality and her ego. And I think that makes her a more robust character. So it's kind of points because of who she is, not necessarily what she does in the chapter, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I'm also giving five to the giant squid because I like that squid. Yes. Um, 
And then negative 10 to Fudge, because I think it shows his spinelessness in this chapter. Very similar to the last book where he took Dumble away. And negative 20 from Scabbers, because I thought you were dead. Right? How dare you come back to life, you bitch. Right. (laughs) Who you think you are? Fox? No. Not even close. You ain't a phoenix. You ain't even a phoenix. Not at all. You a nasty hoe, brat. Nasty hoe, rat. Yep. That's that's the one. That could be the chapter title, but we can't because... I'm sure Podbean won't let us. Anyways, so that's plus five to Ron, Harry, Giant Squid, plus 10 to Buckbeak. Oh, and plus five to Trelawney, plus 15 Hermione, plus 15 Hagrid, negative 10 Fudge, negative 20 Scabbers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Next time, we're going to read the chapter that we talked about before we started recording, and then I forgot what it was called, and that is The Cat, Rat, and Dog. Not Dog. The cat, rat, and dog. Cat, rat, and dog. And that's a very meaty chapter. <laughs> Even though it, it is a meaty chapter that I don't got to write a summary for. Hell yes. Yeah. And you guys remember when we were talking about how like I always have to write the thing for the long chapters. The next two chapters I have to write a thing for are less than 10 pages. <laughs> I'm very excited. I'm happy for you. So we'll catch you then. Yes. Have a great day. Be safe. Wash your hands. Black Lives Matter. Pay your taxes. All that good stuff. (laughs) I should pay my taxes. Don't be like me. Yeah, be more like me. Be like That's the lesson of this episode. (laughs) Be like Adam. Goodbye. Goodbye. Basic Snitches is produced and recorded by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Edited by Adam Bowers. And published by Tara Corkery via Podbean. And now available for download wherever you listen to podcasts. A special thanks to all of you for taking the time to download and listen to us. We hope you enjoyed us. If you enjoyed us, please be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice. And if you didn't enjoy us, then we're sorry you're so angry. Please also connect with us. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Basic Snitches or email us at basicsnitches at gmail.com. We're excited to get more feedback from our listeners and to hear what you have to say about the questions and discussions we have on the podcast. Catch Catch you later, later, snitches. snitches!